is an Odyssey original. This is Coronavirus Daily. I'm Charles Feldman. And I'm Mike Simpson from the KNX Odyssey Studios in L.A. The Delta variant is now the one doctors and scientists are most worried about. Quickly becoming the dominant strain across the world could pose big problems here in the U.S. for people who aren't fully vaccinated. One airline company has come up with a solution if someone starts feeling sick in midair. And you will definitely notice the solution. Have you noticed people are more rude to each other? It's what happens when you cut the daily interaction from your life for so long. Let's start, though, with the Delta variant and how it could eventually get everyone who's not yet vaccinated. Dr. Peter Hotez is dean of the National School of Tropical Medicine at Baylor College of Medicine. He's also co-director of the Center for Vaccine Development at Texas Children's Hospital. Uh, Doctor, is this a big deal for those who are not vaccinated? Well, if you're fully vaccinated with two doses of either the Pfizer-BioNTech or Moderna vaccine, it works really well. So you're in good shape there. But the problem has been if you only got a single dose of either of those vaccines or if you're unvaccinated, this Delta variant is far more transmissible from anything we've seen before. We saw how not only a, how it was a problem in India, but it accelerated across the British Isles and infected a large numbers of Brits who were not vaccinated or only partially vaccinated. So we have to assume the same will happen here in the U.S. And what we're finding is that it's about to become the dominant variant in in the United States. So about a week and a half ago, it was 10% of the virus isolates were the Delta variant. Now it's doubled to 20%. We have to assume it's going to go up to 40% and, and, and there again. So this is a time if you're, you know, thinking about getting vaccinated, now's the time to do it to be fully immunized before it's here in a big way over the summer. So when we say far more transmissible, what does it mean for people who are out there? Maybe they're on the fence about that vaccine, because we've heard from some doctors who, who are painting it like, OK, uh, basically, it means it is probably going to find you that you're not going to be able to run this one because the Delta is going to mostly get everybody who doesn't have their vaccine yet in some way. Yeah. Yeah, I think more or less. And, you know, it, it basically says if you've been lucky so far, not being vaccinated, not and you haven't gotten COVID, your luck's about to run out because this is far more contagious from anything we've ever seen before. I mean, the UK variant, the B one one seven, that was dominant over the spring, that was pretty bad as well. But this is this is even uh, worse. So um, what it means is this is the time you really want to get vaccinated because the other thing that's happening now is we're seeing a lot of young people go into the hospital with this. So this narrative that it's exclusively, COVID's exclusively an illness um, of older individuals, that that's your father's COVID. This is a, this is a new variant. And, and you have to really come to terms with the fact that if you're not vaccinated, you, you're, there's a high likelihood you'll get COVID and potentially have long-haul debilitating symptoms. Now, I, I can imagine that there may be some parents listening uh, to this out there who have uh, kids younger than 12, so they're not being vaccinated yet, right? They can't be with the existing vaccines, uh, who might be thinking, well, I keep hearing that it's not COVID that dangerous for young children, but should I be worried that this Delta variant is spreading? Uh, is it more dangerous as well as, as as being more infectious? And what do I do with my child who can't be vaccinated? Yeah, so it's an important question. And, and again, this this gets to the fact that not only vaccines protect you, protect you from getting sick, but if enough people get vaccinated, you'll limit the amount of transmission. 
So the the good news for people living in California is you'll likely do better because so many people are vaccinated in the state of California. It will help reduce the level of transmission. Same in the Northeast and in New England and the Mid-Atlantic states. I'm particularly worried about places where vaccination rates are really low in the South and in some of the mountain states in Wyoming and, and Idaho and Colorado. There you're going to see a lot of virus transmission and unfortunately kids will get sick as well. So uh, get everybody in your family vaccinated who's eligible to get vaccinated and that will also decrease the likelihood the little, little kids under the age of 12 who are not eligible to be vaccinated from getting COVID-19. And it's the perfect slash worst time for this, too, because the restrictions are gone. So group gatherings and mass gatherings can happen. And if someone's not vaccinated or a bunch of people aren't and somebody's got this this Delta, then then there you go. Yeah, especially in indoor settings. So if you have little kids and are bringing them in indoor settings, um, you know, whether it's shopping or or, or whatever, um, you might want to still have them wear masks at this point. Is there any reason to try to speed up the approval on an emergency basis of the existing vaccines so they can be given to even younger children? Well, we tend to be a little more cautious for um, vaccinations for young kids uh, just because we want to be able to follow the safety profile for a bit longer. So I don't think that's going to be accelerated too much. We're hearing maybe by the fall. I think that's a pretty optimistic time frame. It might be later than that. But but in the sense, it's okay because if enough other people get vaccinated, like a state like California, which is doing pretty well, then, for instance, with the high schools and middle school schools, all the adolescents will be vaccinated, the teachers, the staff. And even for the elementary schools, if transmission is down far enough, then because everyone is vaccinated, it should be okay. I think the the bigger worry is where you have so many unvaccinated people uh, in the southern part of the U.S. and in, in, in the Mountain West. Dr. Peter Hotez, Dean of the National School of Tropical Medicine, Baylor College of Medicine. Doctor, thanks. Let's say you're on a plane again and you take off and you're in the air. No going back now. But what happens if the person next to you starts coughing and says they feel kind of, you know, feverish? Would you get nervous? Introducing the quarantine tent from Airbus. Yeah, they can roll it out and then zip the guy up in it. How's that make (laughs) you feel? Uh, Brett Snyder, author of the Cranky Flyer blog, director of the Cranky Concierge Air Travel Service. So, Brett, is this supposed to calm me down if I'm sitting next to that guy? Because I might freak out. Yeah, no, I don't think so. (laughs) In this... Like, this is amazing to me. So I love the images that they show where it's three seats and they kind of put the tent and there's the one seat in the, <laughs> the aisle seat right with next to it. To look in. Yeah. Yeah. So you get a look. It, it, I mean, it, this is uh, something. I'll well, give them that. I, I, I got to tell you, so, so I was on a, a show the other night and I was talking to the, the host about this very thing. Uh, and he came up with, a, I thought it was a brilliant idea. He said, you know, this is a great way if you have a coach seat to get a free sort of business class environment. You just cough a lot, pretend you got like you go something like, oh, you know, yeah. this COVID's hard to get over. There's your pod. <laughs> right. And then all of a sudden Right. And now you're moved from the back of the plane into your personal space. I thought that was brilliant. Yeah, I mean you don't even have to move. Everyone else will move around you. <laughs> Who comes up with these ideas other than Airbus? I was going to say, apparently Airbus. Uh, No, I mean, I think what happens is the airlines have issues and then these guys have these R&D areas that go and look at ways to solve them. 
in this case, maybe not a particularly good way to solve them. But, you know, airlines are trying to figure out what do we do if someone gets sick, becomes symptomatic. The problem is, weren't they already shedding the virus long before they were symptomatic exactly. if they now have it? So sure. what is I don't know what good this does. Yeah. Please tell me this dates from like, I don't know, six to eight months ago, middle of the pandemic. They were trying to think of ways that, you know, in the worst situation, we could we could cover this and then, you know, they can win some uh, novelty award and then just never install this thing ever on any plane. I, I would like to think that. I don't actually know. I think the reason that it's being talked about now is that it's it's up for an award in the industry, which is kind of funny. It, wait, it is, wait, wait, it is wait, wait, wait. Somebody wants to give this idea an award? Along with the standing uh, seats, right? Yeah. That also really? has the award. <laughs> I actually will support the standing seats. That's a whole different question, though. <laughs> but, yeah, the, apparently so. So um, I assume they've started working on this pretty early in the pandemic and then I don't know how long it took for them to say, hey, what if we just put everyone in a big Ziploc bag? <laughs> Do you think any airline's going to actually go for this? No. <laughs> no. I mean, imagine pitching this Good. to your flight attendants. Yeah. Okay, here's what we're going to do, guys. All gather around. This guy coughing. Yeah. Get the duct tape out. Go <laughs> next to the we'll dangerous just... person. And he won't fight you at all. No. Can't they have this? Right. Yeah, no one's, everyone's going to be perfectly willing to go into the tent. But if nobody is sick, yeah. but if nobody's sick on the plane, can they use it for, like, crying infants? Oh. That's... <laughs> thought mean, of that, see, huh? This is where... <laughs> and then the parents may not fight you. As a parent myself, I can say that. Oh, I, but, I can see the emails yeah, coming in now. We solved the problem. <laughs> that was Charles. It wasn't Mike. Yeah. <laughs> FYI, because you confuse us sometimes. Yeah. Uh, Brett Snyder, author of the Cranky Flyer blog, runs the Cranky Concierge Air Travel Service. Brett, thanks. Just saying, you know. Coming up after a short break, are you ready to be nice to people again? People are getting back to normal, and that means going back out into the world again, which means dealing with people. Might be a little awkward if you haven't socialized much over the last year. Lots of people having problems being nice and following social etiquette. Lizzie Post, co-president of the Emily Post Institute, author of Higher Etiquette and Emily Post Etiquette, 19th edition. So if you see somebody down the hall at work, what happens next? It's a, it's it's amazing how strange something that that has been so normal in our lives can feel, and I'm I'm one of them. I was you know de definitely on on my own, and it's reminding myself, oh my goodness, you actually need to go engage with the outside world because you can. Like it's you know you don't need to stay on your one little little postage stamp you know in your room. <laughs> Um, but it is, it's, it's a time right now where we really need to be compassionate with ourselves and compassionate with the people around us, because it's going to be a little bit different for everyone, much like when all of the ma mask mandates and the lockdowns first started, it was a little different. You know, some people are like, no, I'm kind of enjoying not being in the bustle. Other people couldn't handle it. We're going to have the same range of emotions as we re-enter and being patient and compassionate is really going to going to help us as we as we do that okay so give yourself a little leeway give your friends yeah. and co-workers a, a little room but what about uh, problems that you foresee we, we had a story running that there were some workplaces kind of putting out the warning hey uh you know the the jokes and the comments and the stuff you maybe said to your friends in your pod like that's not necessarily going to translate back to the office environment <laughs> so maybe watch it a little bit like re remember your office behavior and what's appropriate yeah um, it's, it is really good when, when companies can be 
a, a little bit more explicit or give examples. Um, but I do think it's it's not a bad thing to remember, hey, I've, I've got to be around others again. And what does that look like? How, how do we do this well? Um, and often it means that we do have a, a filter on us that we use and it's for uh, other people's sake and our own, you know? But that raises an interesting uh, question, Lizzie. I, because I'm, I'm wondering which of the two things you think is likely to happen. Do you think that people returning to work after, you know, a year plus of, you know, virtual uh, isolation, are they going to have to kind of shape shift back to conformity with the office environment as it was prior to the <laughs> pandemic? Or is the yeah, office, <laughs> yeah, or is the office going to have to learn a new way and maybe a new tolerance to people coming back who are used to, you know, a different way of working for a year and a half? <laughs> um, it's it's a fabulous question. And I think it's going to be a little bit of both. I know that at the Emily Post Institute, we got very used to very flexible working hours. And I can feel both my business partner and I craving a little bit more, more of our old Monday to Monday to Friday, nine to five work week. Um, and I think it'll be interesting to see each company is is going to have its own needs, first of all, that need to be met. But then it's also um, going to have to make decisions about what works well, what what makes this company function at its best. And I think what was really interesting about the pandemic and the, the experience of so many people um, working from home who, who hadn't done that before um, was that it, it really flexed the idea of, of what we need in order to get work done and how we work best. And I'm really hoping that people are open to... Uh, keeping what worked really well and, and getting rid of what <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the modified kind of weak thing. And I think a lot of places are, are kind of pushing that. Is that a discussion that maybe you can have? And how do you approach that with your scary boss? Uh, right. I think that that is a discussion that you can have. And, and whether it's something you start out with HR or it is something you could address uh, directly with a boss, um, I think is, you know, obviously differs from person to person. But I think that that conversation starts out by you being uh, candid and reflective about your productivity and how you work best and asking if your company is able to support you in some of those ways or if that would work with the company or if there's a, another option you haven't thought of yet that might work better for both of you. All right. So now leaving the office environment, dating, uh, <laughs> that's, a, that's a whole other kettle of fish. Yeah, no, it definitely is. Um, and there were a lot of people who still dated throughout the pandemic and they found safe ways or comfortable ways to be able to to still date. Um, and it, it's I, I do think I am one of those people that believes we're headed for one of those like summer of love, you know, where everyone's going to be like, I'm free. Finally, I know I've been I fully admit this is probably shameful, but I fully admit I've been checking out everybody on my run. Really? I'm like, oh, you oh, smile. And did you did you find someone? Sorry, say that again. And, and is there one in particular? No, not yet, but I'm still hoping, man. <laughs> Chase, run after them. Um, uh, you know, you, you talk. We talk about dating. I'm wondering, as the like etiquette person, are, are you just horrified every time you see someone post like an online dating converse, like a Tinder conversation? Like, look at this person. Look what they said to me. 
oh no, I don't go read all those BuzzFeed lists at all. <laughs> well, here's a, here's an etiquette a question. So suppose you're on a date and mm. one person, let's say they're both vaccinated, but one person still wants to wear a mask and the other person doesn't want to wear a mask. I, what do you, you, you know, where's the etiquette in that one? I think, uh, well, definitely, if you get to the point of a goodnight kiss, you're probably going to be moving that fast. Depends how well the day is going. This is one of the parts of this sort of transitional period that I think is really important, where we state our needs and we try not to judge. So on that date, I would really hope that the person who's comfortable without the mask um, really respects the person who's comfortable wearing a mask when that person brings it up. So the person who wants the mask should say, you know, I know I'm vaccinated, but I really feel more comfortable wearing a mask when we're in these situations. And the other person says, that's cool with me. I understand that I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, be, I, I feel confident now that I'm vaccinated without my mask. And if that mutual respect and understanding, but also the statement of perspective can, can be there, both be present at the same time, I think you're off to a great first date. What about asking about vaccines? Because we're all so curious. Oh, can you ask me? Yeah. 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 I am going to go out on a limb here. I actually think it's okay to ask people about vaccines. And I know that that people might be saying, gosh, it's private medical information. We're also have been in public crisis, a public public safety crisis. And I think that uh, for, for me, I would go the route of rather than ask, I would state my own vaccination status and let other people worry about themselves knowing that I am safe. I know other people aren't always in a position to do that. They may need to ask because they live with someone who can't be vaccinated or they've got young children who can't be vaccinated. Um, there There are reasons why you might wanna ask. And so I'd like to make the ask something that we can all feel really comfortable about if you want to decline, you can always decline to answer the question. I'm sorry, I'm not comfortable answering that. All right, but here, but do you do you ask yeah. do you ask about that before or after you've already put in the order at the expensive restaurant? <laughs> if it's me, I'm going to be asking before we ever get to the restaurant. So, <laughs> All right, no, guys. If it's me, I'm probably just going to say, "Hey, I'm vaccinated. I'm, I'm hoping you are for your own sake. It can be for your own sake, but." Um, but but it is important to remember and be sensitive to the fact that there are some people who cannot take this vaccine yet um, and that you don't want to just judge people who say I'm not vaccinated or not, they're not vaccinated um, by thinking that they've done something horribly wrong or they're not yet or something like that. Right. We really want to try to remove the judgment. All right. Lizzie Post, co-president of the Emily Post Institute, author of the books Higher Etiquette and Emily Post's Etiquette, 19th edition. Stanford researchers have found important clues to the mysterious brain fog and mental struggles reported by many COVID patients. They discovered the patients have signs of inflammation, genetic changes, and impaired circuitry in the brains of people killed by COVID-19. The research also reveals haunting similarities between the brains of those killed by COVID and other degenerative conditions such as Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease. The team found no evidence, though, that the virus invaded and infected the brain. Researchers say it's possible that neurological symptoms are caused because the virus lingers in the periphery of the brain, or they say the impact could be an indirect result of the body's overaggressive immune defense. This is an Odyssey original. Find us on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. 